this morning will be in verse number 14, but I want to read verse number 1 and then verse number 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse number 14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we gathered here this morning to, uh, Lord, with my desire is to feast upon your word. Lord, I pray that you'll open our minds and hearts to receive this text, Lord, to, to grasp at something that is at times unfathomable, ununderstandable. We, we lack the mental capability of times to comprehend the depth of your word in a simple sentence when it says that you became flesh. Lord, I pray that you'll help us this morning and give us understanding. Be with those who were providentially hindered this morning. Be with those who are facing physical illnesses. Thank you in prayer for Brother Ivan and also Brother Tommy as they're continuing on with medical treatment. Lord, our prayer is that you would restore them. And the ultimate prayer is that in all things, your name will be glorified. We give thanks to you for what you've done. Thank you for your love, grace, and mercy you've bestowed upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been studying here in the book of John over the last several weeks, and John has not withheld his purpose from us about why he has taken the time to record this gospel for us. It was not so that John could be regarded as a historian so that they could say, well, John, you've done well recapturing a portion of history. It wasn't because John was in competition with other of the apostles and wanted to also author his own book. It wasn't so that um, John could have notoriety, but chapter after chapter, verse after verse, as you study through the book of John, it is made clear that the reason that John has written all of this down is so that the reader may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and through Him alone you may have eternal life. John chapter 20 and verse 31 I guess could be highlighted as the, the theme verse of this entire gospel. But these are written that ye may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and believing ye might have life through his name. When we first started off, and really one and verse 14 are somewhat interwoven together. John in chapter 1, the apostle John starts off letting us know that Christ has always existed. Really, verse 1 is just encapsulated with the pre-existent Christ. He has always been, he always will be, and everything that is made was made by him and for him. In our studies last week, we was interrupted between one and ver uh, chapter or verse 1 and verse 14, and John would introduce to us, the Apostle John would introduce us to the prophet John, John the Baptist. Uh, the purpose, as we said of this, that 
the Apostle John was letting us know that this was the long-awaited prophet. This was the long-awaited messenger. This was the one in whom Isaiah spoke of. This is the one in whom Malachi prophesied of. And soon, Lord willing, next week, we'll see exactly what the Apostle John had to say as he was upon his earthly ministry. But here, uh, the Apostle John points out to tell you that the Word has always existed. He always will be. He was the Father of creation. But in verse number 14, lets us know something about our pre-existent Christ. He not only has been, He not only always will be, He not only created all things, all things were made by Him and for Him, but Verse number 14 brings us to a moment of understanding where our Lord and Savior set down His crown in heaven and entered into humanity. Now listen, He didn't set down His authority. He didn't set down His divinity, but He stepped down from it and entered into humanity. He never stepped away from who He was. 33 and a half years He labored on this earth and served God here. But never once in all of his 33 and a half years did he ever stop being God. Yet in the same truth, during his 33 and a half years here, he was also 100% man. The Apostle John says Jesus left glory and took on humanity. He took on flesh Verse 14 really captures our minds with a simple statement, the Word became flesh. This is where many people began to struggle even in our world today. They, there is religions, one called deism. You can look them up. Deism is a form of monotheism, which is better, I suppose, than polytheism, where the belief is that there are many gods, but deism believes that there is but one God, but they believe that God created all of the world, but has yet failed to intervene on the behalf of humanity. Even more, we're constantly met by people, even in the workplace, or as we're preaching the Word of God, we're we interact with people who will confess that there is a higher power. They believe that all of this was created, but everything else is left up to your imagination. But the Apostle John tells the reader, remember, this is an evangelistic gospel. He is trying to tell the reader he is trying to remind the hearer that God has indeed intervened for the sake of those who need him. There is a, he reminds us here that in verse one, indeed there is a higher power. Indeed, the triune God created all of this. But John says, let me tell you more. The same God, the, the, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the creator that was prophesied would come. And verse number 14 says that he was made flesh. He came at a point in history when the world needed him most. So John says here, the word became 
flesh. Don't be afraid of this word incarnation. This is a theological word in which is encapsulated and used in verse number 14, the incarnation of Christ. This is oftentimes preached at Christmas time, but it's a simple definition. It means to be embodied in the flesh. So John here in verse number 14 says, the word became flesh. This word is connected to the word he was speaking of in verse number one. Jesus Christ, the son of God, he embodied physical flesh. The word became flesh. John leaves no confusion here. John makes it clear the, the same word that we use here, logos, that we used in John chapter 1 and verse 1. In the beginning was the logos, and the logos was with God, and the logos was God. It's the same logos, the same person who became flesh in verse 14. It is the same and connected in verse 1, but here John presents this in such a manner in verse number 14 that he is continuing to try to grasp the attention of both the Jew and the Gentile. Now we said in verse number 1, when John would start off saying, in the beginning was the Logos, this word was used by Greek philosophers to, to say this is a concrete truth. Philosophers would say, as they would do their writings and write their writings, anything that was not debatable was the Logos. In the Jewish world, whenever they would use the word Logos, it was that they would reference back to the Old Testament when we would read about and the word of the Lord would come to Jeremiah, and the word of the Lord would come to Jonah. This is the Logos for the Jew. So when John writes this here, and the word became flesh, what John is stating to us, here is an undeniable fact. Here is a concrete truth for you. The same deity I spoke of in verse number one, who's always existed. I have another concrete truth for you about him. The one who was there and was responsible for all of creation left his throne in heaven, and entered humanity and became flesh. He took on flesh. The word became flesh. It was undeniable. He was amazing in his work. He was amazing in his speech. John chapter 7 and verse 46, Lord willing, we'll get there one day, said that they had never even heard a man speak like this. He was amazing in his love. He was amazing in his sacrifice. But what a statement about him that he would set aside all of glory to enter humanity and become flesh. It's an astounding thought. It is even somewhat beyond our comprehension. It is somewhat beyond our full understanding, but yet it is a still a whole truth. The word became flesh. Paul writing to Timothy, this faithful servant of the Lord. Towards the end of his life, I think they say the last thing that Paul would write was 2 Timothy. When he said, I'm ready to be poured out. I'm ready to be offered up. But when Paul would write to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, speaking of the magnitude of this truth, he said, 
and without controversy. Great is the mystery of godliness, that God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Did you see that? Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. Even for Paul, it was still, though he understood the simplicity, yet there was great enormity to this statement that God became flesh. The, creation, the creator became the creation. You see, the, the infinite became the infant. The king became the servant for us. What a glorious statement. And the fact that the word became flesh, though we may not fully understand it, John will continue on to clarify for you, though you may not fully understand it, you are doomed if you do not believe it. Paul, with great faith, believed that the word became flesh but yet he also acknowledged there was great mystery to it. You see, this is something that is argued by people today. They say to them, I can't even fathom this, therefore it must not be true. And yet the same people will walk out to their car and stick the key in the ignition and turn it forward and drive down the road and can't even acknowledge how their car just did that. They can't acknowledge that their car has pistons and brakes and how the whole thing works, but yet they have enough faith to stick the key in the ignition and turn it forward. They can't explain to you how they go to the water spigot and lift the handle and water keeps pouring out with pressure. They can't tell you how you put food in a microwave and push a button and something happens and therefore you open it up and the food's so hot it will burn you. But yet they continue to use it. Yet they continue to return to it. In the same breath, we will not and ever will we till we get into glory fully comprehend what it means in these short words. And the word was made flesh, yet by faith. I return to it every day and believe it, that it is an absolute truth, an undeniable fact, concrete to me, that Christ left glory and became flesh. This is why they said of John that John was, of all the Gospels, written in the most simplistic Greek. It is the most simplistic for us to understand. We don't need a dictionary to understand. The Word became flesh. One, one commentator said that this sentence here, and the Word was made flesh, is simple enough that a child can play in it but it's also, the more you think about it, deep enough to drown an elephant. This is what John has set out to convey all to us, to all of us in a very simple way that Christ became flesh. In verse number one, John sets out to declare, out, to declare the Lord's deity. In verse number 14, John sets out to declare his humanity. Hear me when I say this, both are true. There has never been a time in history past, even before time existed, there will never be a time in 
the future in which the Lord has ever set aside his deity. Now, there has been a time in times past in which the Lord had not put on humanity, so to say, but he has never set aside his deity. But also understand what the Apostle John has done here and understand what he's not saying. Look at the text. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word, here he says, was made flesh. And the word was made flesh. Eighteen times. Now, I'm not trying to every time we preach give you a Greek lesson. I just want you to understand this. The word, this phrase here, was made. In the Greek, it is one word. Eighteen times when you read in the New Testament about was made, it is used in the word became. This is very important. And over 25 times when this word that is used to produce was made here is used in the word become. Why is this important? I, I was a church member here until the church voted on me to become a deacon. Later on down the road, the church voted again and I became the pastor. You see, this didn't mean that I came into existence. This means I stepped into a new role. John chapter 1 and verse 14 when he says, and the word was made flesh. It is not to say that Christ came into existence. It is to say that Christ stepped into another role in which he previously did not fully fulfill in times past. And the word was made flesh. Now, also, when you use this word, because it's a singular word, but when you use it in the arrowist tense, it is also to signify a time. There is a time attached to this. And the word was made flesh. It is to say that there was a moment in history in which Christ was not this, but then there was a moment in history in which Christ became this. Now, I can't even explain to you. I mean, we can't even really fathom the impact that Christ had when he came, but we understand it in the sense that it literally split time in half. That's how powerful this was. Even in a time in which people deny Christ today, they still use B.C. as time in A.D., uh, B.C., which is before Christ, and Anna Denomini, which is uh, in the year of our Lord. His arrival, when he became flesh, it was a moment in history in which time was completely split apart. How powerful is this? How amazing is this that in this very moment in which Christ became flesh, that, I mean, it was a time in which the world had longed for, but it was a supernatural moment. 
Now understand more what the text does not say. It says, and the word became, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Now, now why, why does John continue to compile this on us like this? Why doesn't he just say, and the word was made flesh, and it's okay, we get it. But see, if we stop there, you might find yourself at a confusing part, or you might find yourself arguing with other people about what is different in this time. My personal belief is that the reason that John said that in the word was made flesh and dwelt among us is because when you read the Old Testament, we understand that there is something throughout the Old Testament called theophanies. Now, theophanies is a time where deity was manifested in the flesh. Did that happen? Absolutely. Did Christ manifest himself in the flesh in the Old Testament? Yes, he did. He arrived at the tent for Abraham, remember that? And the Lord was there with Abraham, and he ate with Abraham. I don't understand how that all worked out. I don't know where the Lord got the body, but he got it, and they ate. Even more, we understand that the Lord wrestled with Jacob. These are called theophanies. They are, they are where times in history where the Lord became flesh. But what we read here in verse number 14, John is trying to bring the reader to the understanding that this is not one of those moments. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. You see, there's a, a difference here. Christ came. He didn't come through this supernatural appearing, understand this, but this is also Luke chapter 2 and verse number 42 would say that when Christ would arise, arrive, that he would grow up. And as he grew up, he grew up in the, um, uh, he grew up in the, well, he grew up, yes, I can't remember. But he grew up in the um, wisdom of the Lord and he grew up before men. There was a continual growing from that point in which he was born. In times past, his existence in Theophanies was nothing like this at all. Jesus Christ and his arrival would uh, come, as Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14 would say, he arrived born of a virgin, had no earthly father. This fact that he was made flesh and that he would dwell among us. Now, we can understand the difference in this, and we can understand how John is continuing trying to build a bridge from the Old Testament to the New Testament when he says, and he dwelt among us. This is the statement, if you look up the word dwelt, it means to literally pitch a tent. It means to literally exist with. Now, remember in the Old Testament in which God would instruct Moses to build the tabernacle. Now, the tabernacle is a place in which the Lord dwelt. This is a connecting word. Matter of fact, when the Lord would tell Moses to build the tabernacle, so he could dwell with his people. Even more, when you go further on, you see that when you, on the outside of the tabernacle, there was no real amazing beauty. It was made of badger skins. It was made of animal. But inside of there, 
as you entered into the Holy of Holies, you were surrounded by gold and even more greater than that, God's glory. Out the, the outer shell did not look like much, but in the inner parts of that tabernacle was the Shekinah glory. Why is that so important? Because when he says here, and the word was made flesh and he dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. In all scripture, we don't really know exactly what Jesus looks like. I'm sorry to hurt your feelings, but those pictures, you see, it's all a hoax. But Isaiah chapter 53 and verse number two says, uh, it's really one of the only places that we receive some kind of a physical description of which Jesus looked like. It says, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and we shall see him, and there is no beauty that we should desire him. I hope you see what I'm trying to present to you here. When people looked upon Jesus Christ, you could say that there was nothing outwardly that made people follow after him, just like the outskirts of the tabernacle was just animal skins. It was nothing glorious. It wasn't Solomon's temple. But yet, inside of him was the Shekinah of glory. In, uh, inside of Jesus Christ, the glory of God rested inside of him. This is what John is trying to say, is saying that when Jesus came, he dwelt among us, literally. He lived among us like the tabernacle in the middle of the people. Jesus came in flesh, and inside of him was the Shekinah glory. Inside of him was the glory of God. We beheld it, though on the outside it did not look like much. We beheld our Savior in this man who became flesh. This man who became flesh, he uh, was a man just like you and me. He struggled with things that we struggle with. He was a man who was tired. He was a man who slept. He aged and all of those things that we suffer with on the external. But dwelling inside of him was the fullness of his deity. He was still fully God. He dwelt among us. Well, and this is also different. This was not just a moment, though. In the Old Testament, we see when we read about Theophanes, you know, the Lord appeared unto Abraham. He supped with Abraham. They went down to Sodom. Well, he didn't go down to Sodom and Gomorrah, but the others went down to Sodom and Gomorrah. Soon Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and the Theophany was over. Jesus Christ was gone from the scene. But this is different. When Christ arrived this time, he dwelt among them. This is different in this moment here. He stayed among them. He, they beheld him. They beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He became flesh. That's what our Lord did. He became flesh. He, one man said, with all human properties, with all human frailties, but yet without sin. 
he became flesh and we beheld his glory. The eternal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, was veiled by human flesh. You cannot help to see that he was God. I mean, they knew it. I believe all those who were around him could not deny he was so spectacular. I mean, as we work through the book of John, so majestic, the miracles, the wisdom. We, they never heard a man speak like this. They've never seen a man move like this, to, to, to talk like this. The miracles, the calming of the storms, the water, the wine, the, the issue of blood. Miracle on top of miracle. They had never seen someone like our Jesus. But yet he was veiled in this humanity. Why did God ever become like us? But his flesh could barely hide who he was. He barely hid his glory. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John says that all those who were around him and beheld the glory of Jesus Christ, the same glory that they beheld in Jesus Christ, he goes on to say, was the same glory that existed and exists in the Father. They share the same glory. And I believe that one day, as Peter, James, and John got a sneak peek there that day on the Mount of Transfiguration. I could not imagine what it was like for them that day. But the Bible says, I think it's in Luke or it's in one of the Gospels, that he was transfigured before them and his face did shine as the sun and his raiment was white as light. They had an opportunity to behold the glory of God, what existed inside of this flesh and all that he did and all that he said, and we'll cover this later on, and he was full of grace and truth. This is, this is imperative. You can, the one guy says that you could try to reason it with your words and lose your mind. You try to argue it away and you will lose your soul. The truth for all of us is God in the form of his son for you and for me set his throne down, his, left his throne, set his crown down, not his authority, not his divinity, entered humanity through the virgin birth. He did not have an earthly father, therefore Romans 5.12 did not apply to him. He lived a spotless life for 33 and a half years without sin and would eventually sacrifice and die on a hill called Calvary for us. And all of this can be true. We can have this great salvation that we have, but it is anchored in our Christianity and faith stands on this table and this Incarnation is one of the legs that holds up our great faith. If you remove it, you removed our faith. If you make Christ human, we've lost our salvation. If you make Christ 
human, you make this book a lie. If you make Christ human, this is all a waste of time and we're all involved in the, the, the world's biggest Ponzi scheme known to man. But we can go home with a smile on our face and love on our hearts because we understand the word was made flesh. And all of these things are great truths. Christ did enter the world to seek and to save that which was lost. What love is this? What love do we have from our Lord? But again, John is building and building. The reason this is who Christ is in verse 1. Before I tell you any more about what Christ did, let me first tell you that there was a messenger coming and that it, it, the, Christ cannot come before the messenger because Old Testament scriptures prophesied the messenger is going to come and then Christ. So he starts off saying, let me tell you about who Christ is. He's the word. He was with God. He was God. Everything was made by him. Hold on. Before I go any further, let me tell you something else. The messenger, there was a messenger sent from God. His name was John. And then this messenger came. And then he ran back to say, but the messenger came. But by the way, Christ was also incarnated. And he, Christ, not also, he was incarnated. And he became flesh. And then John the apostle, John will now, next week, move back to tell you about what the messenger, John, had to say about this Christ who was incarnated. He is still seeking to validate and to prove to all that not only is John the Baptist the messenger in whom Scripture prophesied of, but also to point to the fact that the message that John the Baptist preached was also a validating message that Christ is exactly who he said he was. And by the way, because God's word is ever true, if John the Baptist was not the messenger that the Old Testament prophesied of, and Christ was not whom he prophesied of, which I hate to even throw that foolishness around, then it's also too late because it would not match up with scriptures if he came now. The reality is that God in the perfect time, in the moment when the world needed him most, he, all throughout history was his plan and his word has perfectly fell into place over 6,000 years. It's never been proven wrong once. And we can go home with great confidence today that people bang their head against this book day after day, waiting for a mistake, one jot or tittle to be wrong. And we sit back in confidence knowing that it never will be. The word became flesh. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity again to be in your word. Lord, what a deep thought to think of all that you set aside, leaving glory for here. That you set aside while the angels were praising you, singing songs unto you, glorifying your name, not even in the presence of sin or sorrow or, or sadness or grief, yet there, separated from this world, you set all of that side and entered into a world in which you would be abused and mocked and whipped and crucified, and you did all of that for a wretched sinner like me. Lord, I'm humbled, but Lord, more importantly, if there be someone here under the sound of our voice, my voice, Lord, who is lost and on their way to hell. 
Lord, I pray that you grip their hearts in a manner which only you can do and call the sinner to repentance. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. I thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy you've bestowed upon us. Thank you for the Witten Place Baptist Church. Thank you for those who gathered here. Thank you for those who even couldn't be here but have the desire to be here and, and send encouraging words about wanting to be here, Lord, and be with those who physically couldn't be here this morning. We give thanks to you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.